Well, I do invite you to turn with me to Joshua 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from there from the people, and they fled, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan, O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel." So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah 
and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, in the day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Please be seated. Well, as we've mentioned, it is Advent. And it seems odd, as I said a couple weeks ago, that we think about Joshua during the season of Advent. It's not just that just that I've committed to preaching through Joshua, uh, but Joshua, really, these, these passages that we've been looking at are perfect uh, for thinking about Advent and the coming of the Lord and why he came and then to be prepared for his return. And we'll see that today. I think this will encourage us as we rejoice in the salvation that Christ uh, has, has brought to us by taking on human flesh and coming to earth and dying for us and rising from the grave. But I also think that this passage is great for encouraging us to be prepared for the return of the Lord when he comes in glory. And to that end, I want to look at three things today, three points. Sin matters to God, sin matters to the people of God, and sin matters to the Son of God. Well, this account before us probably sounds a bit harsh to modern ears. Uh, The modern reader probably looks at even the whole book of Joshua, and it seems very foreign and very harsh with its battles and war and devoting things to destruction and wiping people out uh, wholesale. Uh, Is God being harsh here? I mean, 36 people have died, and God's people have been defeated in battle And that news would have spread to the surrounding cities and the Canaanites would have been emboldened against the Israelites. And so they're in a precarious position and it's just because of one man. One man who took a robe, a bar of gold, and a bag of silver. Well, in the Mosaic Law, of course, God's not being harsh here and that's the point I want to make. Sin matters to God. And in the Mosaic Law, when someone devoted something to God, set something apart for God, it was considered holy. And that's what the word holy means, separate. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, It means special, set apart. Leviticus 27, 28 says, But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. So it's a serious thing for something to be devoted to the Lord. And when Moses addressed these people who were the very people who were in this battle, uh, who, who saw the victory at Jericho, who come into the promised land and, and, and now have faced defeat at, at Ai, Moses addressed them before they came to the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy. That's what the De- Deuteronomy is. It's, it's Moses telling them the law again and encouraging them as they go into the promised land how they are to be devoted to the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 20, after he tells them, now if you you go to war in a place that's very far from you, you can take plunder in those places, 
But, he says in verses 16 8 through 18 of Deuteronomy 20, but in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. The Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. See, devoting those cities to destruction had a twofold purpose. One was to bring judgment upon these folks for the abominable practices in which they engaged, child sacrifice, uh, prostitution around their temples, and so forth. But it was also to preserve the people of God from these practices. They didn't want to be, they, they didn't need to be influenced by these people, so God wanted to get rid of them altogether. Well, in Joshua 6, we read that Joshua reiterated Moses' words. There in verse 17, the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Verse 18, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So there's the command clearly stated by Joshua to the people. So what Achan did was he took a robe that was supposed to be destroyed, a, a robe from Shinar. It must have been a, a fancy robe. Uh, Shinar is another word for Babylonia. So Babylonian robe. Uh, and he, of course he took uh, a gold bar and uh, about six pounds of silver. These things were supposed to be a burnt offering to the Lord. At least the robe was. And then the silver and gold belonged to the Lord's temple treasury. These things were holy to the Lord, most holy to the Lord, to use the language of Deuteronomy. And in doing so, Achan made himself and the people of God unholy. They were not completely devoted to the Lord. There's somebody in their midst who was devoted to these things rather than to the Lord. Achan was devoted to that robe, to the silver and gold, and not to God. He disobeyed God. And what does God repeatedly say to his people in Leviticus? I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. What does it mean that God is holy? We're to be holy because God is holy. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, we often think of, the, of purity when we think of holy, but it's more than that. Purity uh, is part of that for sure. It's more of a secondary meaning of, of holiness. But the primary meaning, as I said before, is separate. It comes from an ancient word that means to cut or to separate. To translate the basic meaning into contemporary language would be to use the phrase, a cut apart, or maybe something like a cut above something. When we maybe look at a, a garment or uh, another piece of merchandise that's really outstanding, well, we say, because it has superior ex excellence, we say, well, that thing, that's a, that, that jacket is a cut above these other ones. 
And that's what holiness means. It, it means that it's a cut above. God is a cut above everything else. And there's an element of transcendence there. The word transcendent is used to describe God's relationship to the world. He is higher than the world. He has absolute power over the world. The world has no power over him. Transcendence describes God in his consuming majesty, his exalting holiness and loftiness. It points to the infinite distance that separates him from every creature. He's an infinite cut above everybody and everything. And when the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendentally separate. He is so far and above us and beyond us that it seems almost totally foreign to us. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a very special way. And Achan and the people of God, because they belong to God, like God, were to be different in a special way. They weren't to be like those nations around them. They were to be set apart for God. And Achan was coveting the things, the Canaanites, and, the, and, the, and was becoming like them. Therefore, because he became like the Canaanites, he was subject to the same destruction that they got. They became devoted to destruction, it says there. God takes the holiness of his people seriously. And those of us who are Christians, the same is true for us. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, and you can see right here uh, the similarities. Paul says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That word sanctification just means holiness, becoming more holy. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So you see there the similarities. God uh, requires us to be holy. Um, he, we are not to be like the world around us, those people who do not know God. And uh, if we ignore that, God is an avenger. There's judgment for that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Strive for peace with everyone, the writer of Hebrews says, and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So holiness matters to God. It's obvious here as we see what happened to Achan. God is concerned about sin and holiness. 
and he's concerned about it for us as well. We are called to be holy, set apart for God, different from the world around us. Well, sin matters to God, but sin also matters to the people of God. Now, according to my elementary uh, school teacher wife, one of the taboos that often happens, even though it is discouraged in school, is whole group punishment. Uh, You should never engage in whole group punishment. If one child's acting out, you don't punish the whole class uh, for the misbehavior of one or a few students. You know, for example, a couple of students misbehave during a math lesson, and the teacher cancels recess for everyone. Well, that's, that's not fair, is it? You know, not fair to the kids who were acting right and doing their work. It violates our sense of fairness, doesn't it? Well, the interesting thing to me in the uh, in conversations that I've had with Sarah about this, the interesting thing is that the, the administration is often uh, the ones who discourage the teachers from using whole group punishment, but they often punish the teachers with whole group punishment. You know, a couple of teachers don't follow policy, and then all the teachers are reprimanded for it instead of only going to the guilty parties. So, We don't like whole group punishment generally, but there are exceptions to that. In other contexts, we use and encourage whole group punishment. Now, every person here who is a football fan encourages whole group punishment. When you yell at the TV, like I do, and and holding, pass interference, you know, we want that penalty called on the other team so that they're punished for what one person does. The tackle held on the play and our defensive end wasn't able to get to the quarterback and sack him. It's not fair if it's not got called because we want the whole team to be punished. So, sometimes whole group punishment uh, is good. The fairness of it depends on a few factors. Well, here in Joshua 7, the people of Israel experience whole group punishment for the sin of one man, Achan, who took the silver and gold and the Babylonian robe. And then 36 men died for one man's sin. The families of these men are grieving. The nation of Israel is humiliated and endangered because as Joshua prays in verse 9, the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. See, instead of the Canaanites being in fear like Rahab said they were back in chapter 2 and their hearts melting within them, here in chapter 7, verse 5, it's the hearts of the people of Israel who have melted and become like water. Well, is this fair that they all suffer for one man's sin? Yes, it is. Because belonging to the people of God is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's not an individual action. You are in a covenant relationship with the Lord, yes, individually, but you are also part of the body, part of the body of Christ. And we are very individualistic in the United States, and and we've lost something of our Christianity, our spirituality, when we we, uh, just think of it in in only individualistic terms. 
It's my relationship with the Lord, and it doesn't really affect anybody else. That's wrong. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 12 when he talks about the body of Christ. Just as the body is one and has many members, all, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member but many. We're all part of a body. And then he goes on to say you can't just say one part's not important because every part's important. The foot's important, the eye's important, the ear's important. We need every part of the body. And one part of the body can't say, can't say to another part of the body, I don't need you. Because we're all important and all are necessary for one another. And then he goes on to, to say this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see, we're part of a body. And when we just decide on our own to go and live like people who don't know God... We think, well, that's my business. It's not, because you're part of the body of Christ, and your actions reflect upon the whole body. One of the reasons that we have such a bad reputation in our day and time in, our, in the United States, people are down on Christians. Well, it's because we're hypocrites for the most part. There's a lot of hypocrisy going on because of this individualistic thinking. We need to have a, 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 a mindset that... My sin doesn't just affect me. My sin affects the entire body. My sin affects other people. My sin is a reflection on First Pres Biloxi, if I'm a member here. My sin is a reflection upon the body of Christ worldwide. See, that's what was going on here. These people were in a covenant relationship with the Lord. We are too. But it's not just you as an individual. That's true. But it is. We're all covenantally connected. When we have the Lord's table, we come together to the Lord's table. And we commune with one another with the Lord. See, that's another picture of being part of this body. So yes, sin matters to the body of Christ. Well, finally, sin matters to the people, to the Son of God. Sin matters to the Son of God. Well, when it comes to Jesus, the Son of God, and we compare him to Achan, there's irony here. Achan represented the people, was killed for his sin. Uh, the, the, the wrath of God that was placed upon the entire nation of Israel because of Achan's sin was removed when he was killed. He represented the people. Jesus also represented his people. But he did not deserve to be killed for his sin because he was sinless. He was the sinless son of God. But our holiness mattered so much to him that he was willing to come to earth, take on human flesh, and do something about our holiness problem because we're not holy, we're sinners. And Jesus came to make us holy. We see the seriousness of sin in Achan. You know, he, he's punished for coveting these things and taking them and lying. 
but we also see much in a much greater perspective the seriousness of all of our sins that were placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God. And just as Achan received the judgment, he was devoted to destruction, and rightfully so, Jesus on the cross himself for our sin was devoted to destruction. He bore the wrath of our sins on the cross, and he died there to take away God's wrath from us. Isn't that wonderful? It's a breathtaking act of substitution that Jesus stood in our place because our holiness and our sin problem mattered to him. It was for the joy set before him that he despised the shame and endured the cross. Well, in, he, in, in Ephesians 5, it tells us this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, make her holy, having, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He wants us to be holy and he's died to make us holy. Hebrews 10, comparing or showing that Jesus is greater than the priesthood, the Old Testament priesthood. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected. So if we put our trust in Christ and his great sacrifice for us, we are, we are holy. We are declared holy. We are justified and sanctified already. Be who you are is what Paul tells us in Romans 6. If, if Christ has died to make you holy and you've been declared holy, then the call for us is to be who we are. The holy, the holy priesthood, the, the holy nation, uh, the royal priesthood, as Peter talks about. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 6 when he says, You're dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Reckon yourselves. Reckon yourself holy and be holy. Strive for greater holiness. Now, there's a sense in which we are declared holy, but there's a sense in which we are being made holy. It's a process of sanctification. So, yes, we, in the eyes of God, are holy. We're set apart. We're devoted to him if we're believers. Now we just need to live it out in our lives. That's the difficult part. But we see here in this passage how important holiness is to God. It's important to God, and it's important to the people of God that we be holy together. And it was so important to the Son of God that he came to earth, took on humanity in order to save and sanctifies sinners such as we are. And so we anticipate his second coming. And I'll leave you with the words of Peter in 2 Peter 3, because he's talking about the Lord's return. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise of coming again, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
So we must be continuously repenting. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Yes. What kind of people ought we to be as we anticipate the coming of the Lord? We ought to live lives of holiness and godliness. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would forgive us for our worldliness and help us to be holy, to grow in godliness, to be more like you, to reflect you, to be holy as you are holy. Lord, remind us that we are set apart for you. We are devoted to you. We're not to be like the world or do the things that the world does, but we are to show, uh, show Christ in all that we do. Lord, we're not sufficient for these things in and of ourselves. We're weak, we're sinful. We often, like Achan, covet the things of the world. Lord, forgive us, renew us with a right spirit. Help us to have a zeal for you and, and to revel in the glory of the gospel that Christ has done this wonderful thing. Help us to never cease to be amazed at the grace that you have shown us that we might be propelled into a life of love to you and love to others. And Lord, if there's anyone here who, because of their lack of faith in Christ, they're devoted to destruction, we pray, Lord, that they would turn to you, turn to Jesus, and call upon his name and be saved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.